evening, everyone. Uh, welcome to the Lacey Johnson podcast. Uh, we have a very, very special guest this evening. Oh, my guest is special. Uh, Ms. Natasha Fields, and she's an evangelist, and I haven't got a clarification from her whether or not I should call her Reverend or Minister Natasha, but we'll get that straight now once we get her on air. Uh, we're coming to you from our studio here in North Minneapolis, and so we're glad to have you as always. Uh, and as always, to support the podcast, go out and subscribe to it. Click the notification bell so you can get notified when we drop uh, new videos. And we got an online store uh, that uh, we have merchandise. Uh, I think some of the stuff is kind of cute and unique. Some of the cups and t-shirts and things like that. And I might be even willing to autograph some if you let my team know uh, via email. We can make even make that arrangement. Uh, so uh, go out and support the podcast. Also, you can donate to the podcast, support the financially. So we really appreciate you being here. Uh, we're going to bring out our guest. Before we bring out our guest, though, uh, my mom's birthday, my late mom's birthday, was earlier this month, October 1st, as a matter of fact. And those who, of you who have been uh, following me know that how I feel about my mom. She was the most important person in my life. She's the smartest person I ever met in my life. And she said, such a great example. Uh, just, I was talking to someone today. In fact, I was talking to my wife today. Uh, she would get up 5.30 every morning. I mean, every morning. She never missed one in her life that I can recall. Uh, never was sick in the life that I know of. Uh, was just serious. Uh, she wasn't one to go out and just party and have fun. In fact, I've never seen her leave her kids to go to the movies or go out to a lounge or even go out to dinner. She was just dedicated to her family. In fact, she was dedicated to her, ch her children. Uh, she did not like company. In fact, she she really made me feel good because she made me feel like I was the most important love person in the world. Now, she was tough. Yeah, she was a tough disciplinarian, as a matter of fact. Uh, my first childhood memory was about five years old, and she whipped me, she whipped my butt. Uh, that's what that's what they did in, in those days. Uh, since we have an evangelist uh, as our guest today, we'll talk a little bit about spare the rod, spoil the child, and that was a big uh, type of philosophy during the when we were growing up. And like I said, she was the most important person in my life. My dad was second, and then uh, all those. Oh, uh, the elder black people that raised me. I mean, it's just, they were, they were just smart people, man. A lot of them uh, didn't have much of an education, but they were just smart and hardworking. And they set a very good example for me. In fact, I've never known or seen or even heard of a more decent set of people than the elders that raised me. And I'm very thankful uh, that God blessed me uh, to be born in that situation. And I'm just hit on this a little bit, speaking of born in a situation. Uh, I do, every once in a while, uh, brag about my hometown, Natchez, Mississippi, uh, because I basically had a perfect childhood, and people find that strange. And, uh, but it shows it's not where you're at or where you're from. Uh, it's a lot of it has to do with the people in your lives and the blessings that you have and what you bring to the table. Uh, and one thing, and I bring on our guests, one thing I uh, people find strange when I say this, 
I never heard the word nigger come out of a white person's mouth in my life going uh, up in Natchez, Mississippi. I never saw a white person disrespect a black person growing up in Natchez, Mississippi. And by the way, if you go out, there was a, a gentleman, I forgot his first name, named Johnson, during the slavery time, 1850s, 1840s, who really, a black gentleman, who became a millionaire in Natchez, Mississippi. Uh, sad part about it, I guess, is that he ultimately became a slave owner, but the town has always been a town where we got along and it was never that big of a racist place. In fact, the only couple of times I've heard the word nigger come out of white people's mouths here in liberal Minnesota, Minneapolis, Minnesota, twice, referring to me, but as a matter of fact, never to my face. Uh, and then uh, Boston, Massachusetts, the road, uh, Providence, Rhode Island area. So that's enough of that. Uh, it really is to recognize uh, the respect and greatness of my mom and how I miss her and how she was such an influential part of my life and how she set a great example for me and uh, just uh, the typical strong uh, spiritual black woman who always did what she was supposed to do. Now, good segue, talking about a spiritual black woman, good spiritual black woman. Uh, we're going to welcome our guests here, uh, Miss Latasha Field. Uh, Latasha, uh, welcome to the Lacey Johnson podcast. How are you? How are you doing this evening? I'm wonderful, uh, Mr. Lacey, and thank you so much for having me. Thank you. God bless you. Oh uh, yeah, you're a blessing. It's just a blessing to have you. Uh, I should explain to our audience. Uh, both Latasha and I are members of the Frederick Douglass Foundation uh, organization, and we got invited to the debate in Milwaukee. I don't know a month or so ago, and. I met her and got a chance to sit next to each other during the debate. We talked, and I just found some of the things that she was doing was just so encouraging and spiritual and, and the type of things we need in our community. And her personality uh, was really what uh, attracted me to uh, and wanted me to have her uh, on the show. Uh, so, Latasha, I mentioned in the intro, whether I should call you minister or pastor or uh, because I know you are an evangelist and evangelist, and we will get into that shortly. But uh, what's and, and and please don't tell me just call you Latasha and, uh, uh, and be so modest. But what should I call you? You, you uh, took it right out because I was definitely about to say that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, I'll tell you what, uh, I will make an exception, and this is a true story. I hardly ever call pastors and ministers by their first name, even if everybody else is around, around them is doing it, because I like to give them respect uh, for the title that they earn. Just like I, if I know somebody got a PhD in some subject matter, I'm going to call them doctor, no matter what everybody else is, uh, is doing. But I will make this exception for you because you are going to show how special you are today, and that's why I make this exception. So uh, we talked about, and I, I oftentimes talk about the fundamental pillars of improving our community, uh, our God, uh, family, education, and I call it prosperity, but if you dig deep into it, I'm just in favor of, of us starting our own for-profit businesses, competing uh, in technology, competing in investments, competing in all areas, consumer products, and competing on, competing on a global level. I think that's what we need to get to. Uh, you'll find that 
I, I'm not much into all these other things that people are talking about, social justice and stuff. Not that it's not important, but I just believe that we'll never get social justice until we get financial justice mm -hmm. and political justice. Mm -hmm. uh, and those are the things I'm worried about. Social justice, I went through the 60s. I thought we had dealt with that. And it was time to move on to other type of justice where we need to put some money in our pockets, build some business, at least as long as we're in a free enterprise capitalist uh, competitive environment. Mm -hmm. So you hit all of those categories. So let's start off first and foremost, before we move to those, mm -hmm. give us a little background about yourself, where you're from, uh, growing up with, and those type of things. So just spend some time introducing yourself to my audience, uh, Ms. Latasha Fields. <laughs> Thank you again, Mr. Lacey. Uh, it's a pleasure to be here with you all tonight. Um, but yes, as Mr. Lacey so articulated everything, uh, summed it up. Um, my husband and I, uh, we reside in uh, the city of Chicago. Uh, we've been here for 12 years. Uh, we are born and raised in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. And the Lord sent us here 12 years ago this month for the work of evangelism. Um, all our families back home, uh, but we have made wonderful family here. Uh, so many sisters and brothers in Christ here that have just with open arms welcome us and welcome the ministry and the call in our lives. Um, we are also 17 years home educators. Uh, we have four children. Uh, our oldest daughter is 27 now, and she's a homeschool to college grad. And so we are uh, very blessed of the Lord that he graced us to homeschool her from fourth to 12th grade. Uh, we have three more at home that we're homeschooling. Our two sons are 16 and 14, and our baby girl is eight. Um, we also have a homeschool uh, organization, a co-op in Chicago where families come together every week and we do everything together. Field trips, we have classes with our babies. We, we just have a blast in terms of our homeschool co-op. Uh, it is growing and we, we give God glory for that, how homeschooling is taking off uh, across the country. And we're definitely seeing a lot of families uh, choosing uh, that educational path for their children. And also a part of our evangelistic ministry, our ministry is our report ministries and publications. Uh, God impressed it upon my husband and I heart over 17 years ago uh, to open up an evangelistic school uh, to reach other families for many different reasons. Um, because as you stated, uh, Mr. Lacey, there's, there's a lot of social economic barriers within the black community. And so uh, he, he again impressed that upon our heart to open up a private school. And so we have been teaching students from Louisiana to here for 16 years now. Um, and the school is here in my home in the basement. Uh, and, and now, you know, since COVID, there's a lot of new terms now uh, for what we're doing. Uh, now there's micro school, pie schools, the list is endless of all the new age words. But we, we're kind of old school. We, we stick to the one room schoolhouse because that's that's what it is. Uh, sometimes I use the word micro school. Uh, throw that in there, but that's what we're doing. And so we teach a lot of the babies in, in the community of Chicago. Um, we teach a lot of families that from Indiana to here. So every year I never know who the Lord is going to send, uh, whose life we're, we'll be able to impact. Um, and also we, we are very active and engaged in our community from a political aspect. Um, I am the 21st Ward uh, Republican Committee woman. And so uh, the Lord has afforded me to Kind of take the lead in that and bring in awareness. We, we love to stress that word uh, in terms of our political engagement is to bring awareness. And the Bible says to expose the wiles of the enemy. And so we, we lead with our faith 
Uh, we don't lead with politics. We're not trying to be politically correct. We want to be biblically correct. Um, and even in the education component, we don't lead with academics. We lead with our faith and building a foundation in our children. Um, because when Christ returns, he's not looking for valedictorians. He's not looking for kids with 4.0s. He's looking for faith. And so our number one motive, our number one heartbeat is to make sure that our children are disciples of Jesus Christ. And they understand the way um, the world is working and, and they understand prophecy, to be honest with you, you know, the prophetic layout, the trajectory that God has set forth and the purpose that he has for them. Um, so, again, we just bless God. There's just so, so many things happening uh, in Chicago in terms of our sphere of influence. Um, and so in spite of what the media try to say, a lot of the times God is on the move. Amen. And so a lot of the time the enemy's voice is louder. Um, and so if he's loud, we know our God is even louder. And so we have a little saying here, we're going to be louder from the bottom up. Right. And so that that's who we are. And so we're very patient because faith work at patience and we believe in tilling the ground. Uh, so the uh, conservative world would call that grassroots, you know, uh, we call it tilling the ground, evangelism, old school evangelism. So we're huge on door knocking and just loving on loving on our neighbors and our community. So uh, that's the short version of, of who we are. And and, and yet, yeah, me and my husband are entrepreneurs. Uh, my background is real estate. Uh, I started real estate ooh, 1999, a long time ago. Uh, I'm not active in it any longer, um, but we, we are definitely entrepreneurs. My husband is a, a barber and a barbershop owner. And he also owns a clipper uh, tech company. So we've, we've been entrepreneurs almost 30 years now. So we're big on vocational trade skills, uh, entrepreneurialism. That's our bread and butter. And so even in our house, uh, teaching our kids, the, the school, the co-op, that comes without say. We're huge on financial literacy. Uh, and I like to say we're kind of the Booker T. Washington generation, if you will. Uh, we glean uh, from our black patriots from then and, and we, we believe that uh, the torch has been passed and we have a responsibility uh, to bring those powerful movements that, that was so prosperous for our community back to the light in this dispensation of time. So uh, that's, 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 our, that's our walk, that's our ministry. <laughs> well, I love it. A uh, couple of things I want to unpack here and just you mentioned homeschooling mm -hmm. and you also mentioned private schooling, I think. Yes. Uh, are they one and the same or are they two different uh, institutions? Well, they're two, but is one with us. So we, we have uh, what I like to call a two-in-one learning center. Uh, mm -hmm. For ministry purposes, we are mobilizing and activating and encouraging families to homeschool. But we know because of many factors, uh, primarily within the black community. Again, God uh, has allowed us to, has given us the grace to teach other students. And so we actually have students that come to my home full time for school. And so again, we've been doing that for 16 years. Um, and so the uniqueness about, you know, I like to call our whole family, you will, is that even though we have the homeschool co-op where those are individual families uh, homeschooling their children, we all come together. So even my, my students that are enrolled in our private school, we all are one family. And so on Wednesdays, when we all get come together, because we come together every Wednesday, we've been coming together every Wednesday for 12 years. Um, the, my babies in the school are with the homeschool family. So we're one big school on Wednesday. Um, so uh, that's 
very unique in how we're doing it, and, it, and it's just a beautiful thing. Uh, and so we come against, if you will, the notion that they're not socialized and, and all these things. As a family of believers, we're our own school board, if you will, right? So we're accountable. Each family, we're accountable one to another. And so we stand firm on, on that accountability before God. Now, do you, how do you uh, keep away from issues of the whole separation of church and state? Because when I hear homeschooling, I'm here in a public school. And then when I hear a private school where we're actually teaching uh, Christian values, let's say, uh, most, that's no, no for most public schools. So how do you keep those? And, and I don't want to expose you here on, <laughs> on my podcast that no. you're not keeping them apart. But uh, uh, how does that work where you keep those two things apart? Well, we're not keeping them apart. <laughs> Absolutely not. Uh, we, okay. do not um, we do not walk in the idea of separation of church and state. There's no such okay. concept. Uh, we serve a king. And, and, and because we serve a king, we are in the government of God. And so we do not teach a separation of church and state. We are very transparent in teaching the biblical foundation of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And we teach our children that. And so when you when you go through Genesis and Revelation and you look through all the prophets, they've always had challenges with government. You know, now we say president, you know, but back then it was kings and queens. And so we, we teach our children that God say he does an exaltation. He'll put you before kings and queens. So we teach them they will. God will put us before politicians. He will put us before the presidents and, and the Congress, et cetera. So, no, we don't separate those things. Our okay. children are very allocated to understanding that government rests on God's shoulders. However, we stress that the first governmental body is the government of family. So we are the first and primary institution. And so when we understand the covenant of Abraham, that he said, in the all nations and families of the earth are going to be blessed. And then he also told Abraham that I won't hide anything from you, seeing that you will keep your family, you know, your wife. And so we're big on that divine order, that divine relationship, that the family, everything that that the world needs, everything that is to be corrected, it should proceed from the family. And so my husband quotes all the time, the world should not tell us what to do. We tell the world what to do, right? And so authority and leadership comes from the family. And that's the family that's embedded and understands the knowledge of Jesus Christ. So no, I like that. <laughs> now you mentioned uh, that like on Wednesday night, mm -hmm. it's almost like family nights. How many families do you have in this homeschooling environment of yours? Yes, so right now, um, this school this school year, we have 17 families that are part of our homeschool co-op. And so when everybody show up, we're, we're looking at about almost 35 kids. Um, so it, 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 it'd be a lot of us sometimes. And so every year uh, it changes, it grows, it decreases, different things happen in people's lives, but yeah. So we meet um, from nine to 3.30, so it's a, it's a school day. Um, that we come together uh, with the families and we meet and we have class. So um, when we come together, like tomorrow, we're taking a field trip. Um, but um, our, our daily, our weekly schedule is we meet and have class time and we teach what I call enrichment courses. The public school system will call it elective. So we come together and we teach financial literacy. We teach black history, but we call it History 365. So we're huge on civics education. We're huge on teaching the Constitution and we do teach black history 
365 a year. So we don't do February. We teach it yearly. You know, we it's, it's a continual course for us. And we teach Spanish. We teach Latin. We teach public speaking. So we, we teach a lot of different classes. So every year, every semester, we add and take it. But the two classes, Mr. Lacey, that never moves is financial literacy and history 365. We can rotate anything else, but those two classes never leave. Yeah. The first one you mentioned was financial literacy, and what was the second one? History 365. Um, 365. Mm -hmm. okay. and, and you mentioned family earlier, and just out of curiosity, and we'll get into that a little bit. What percentage of those 17 families are two parent families? You know what? Uh, I think all 16 of them, I, I think the only single parents, because we also have an online school, I failed to mention that. Um, we have three families that are in school online with us. Uh, and two of those families are families from Louisiana. One I've been teaching for years um, and one is in Florida. Um, but we may only have two of those families, one that's online and probably one that comes to co-op that's single. These are married men and women. And, and that is that is a huge lesson. Yes, we're all married. And so, you know, moms are able to homeschool their kids and these daddies are at work. Uh, literally every single last one of them. And so it, it is a tremendous blessing. And it's funny that you asked that because just recently we all kind of sat back and was like, huh, everybody married, you know. <laughs> and everybody yeah. is, is all on top of uh, homeschooling. And we all fellowship together. So it's not just a uh, Wednesday thing. Like this is a growing family. We fellowship together. We do the peace of the Lord together. We we do moms day out together. I mean, it's 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 a lifestyle with all of us. So it's not a Wednesday thing. And and my husband and I, we we kind of uh, kind of push that. We we kind of present that where when the families do join and come, they know our back. You know, it's not gonna be Wednesday. You know, we're about to kind of get into your family, right? Like we, mm -hmm. take, right? we everybody becomes sisters and brothers in Christ, and so it is such such a blessing. Yeah. I'm amazed. I I, I couldn't think of any group of blacks where 16 out of 17 would be two parent families. And, and, and I'm just amazed at that. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's such a blessing. Now you mentioned online mm -hmm. and you mentioned people in Louisiana and Florida being able to uh, take your classes. And, and mm -hmm. they, do they get credit for that in their states? Yes. Yes. Um, and yes, because, you know, homeschooling uh, is legal over the United States. And so basically, um, being that I do take students from other states, I have to be allocated to the laws in those states. And so I know what's required, if any. Most states don't require anything. I'm very familiar with Louisiana law. Uh, I'm familiar with the law in Florida. And so I have to make sure that the children's academic projection and transcript aligns with the requirements of those states. Wow, uh, that, that's a lot of potential for growth there. Also, have you have you been thinking about that? Well, I'm not. You know, even though we do online, I'm not a big online fan. I'm gonna be honest. I don't really push for kids to be online. But however, uh, with our particular curriculum, the kids are not working online. They're just there for the virtual aspect. Right, um, I got you. We order their books, so we're all doing the same curriculum. Our in-person and online students are doing the same curriculum. And so when we give them a diagnostic, the kids are being tested, and then their books are shipped to them. So they're only online 
Uh, one, we do devotion every morning. So they're online for devotion and worship time. And then they're online for help and assistance and scoring their work, et cetera. Um, so they're not doing any computer work. It's just literally for virtual presence and being in the classroom. Okay. You, uh, I got you're in Chicago. Mm -hmm. And I mean, I admire all of our brothers and sisters in Chicago, but I'm just not, Chicago is tough, man. And in fact, uh, uh, and I don't mean to offend people in Chicago, but some of the toughest, most dysfunctional people, and I've been to some of the inner cities in Chicago, and, and you see why, if you ever driven through South Side, the straight part of South Chicago or West Side of Chicago, it, it, it's almost a shame that you got people in the United States living in neighborhoods like that. But uh, what type of challenges uh, has Chicago presented you and your educational, spiritual efforts uh, that perhaps you did not experience while you was in Louisiana and other places? Is there differences? And and you can tell me that it, I'm just guilty of listening to the press, but I've been there a little bit though. But is there special challenges in the Chicago area for you? Uh, I'm gonna unpack this. Um, one, um, no, believe it or not. Um, and that's why I try to encourage people. I mean, reality is reality, right? We, we know there's a reality to what is happening in the city of Chicago. However, there's more good happening than bad. Because I just told you, we have 17 families, 16 families that are homeschooling and they live in Chicago. And these, these families are married. These are men, black people. And we have Hispanic families. So we have one Hispanic family, the rest are black African-American families, Christians, sold out to the Lord. Um, and so again, we're door knocking, we're canvassing. And I mean, all sorts of primarily black people in the city of Chicago. And I live on the south side of Chicago. We live in a, actually, I live in one of the largest black wards in the city of Chicago in the 21st Ward, 98% black. I live in a very middle-class black community, no crime, no shootings, nothing going on over here, right? Um, and so you have pockets of, of the things that they show on media happening, but it's not broad brush stroke over this city. And it's definitely not happening because most of the blacks live on the south side of Chicago, right? It is the largest concentration of blacks. Um, politically speaking, or even spiritually speaking, we have not ran into any barriers with nothing that we're doing in Chicago. And one, because the state of Illinois, it has the least restrictive policies or laws concerning private school or homeschool. Actually, there is no laws here. Only thing that we have to do is make sure that whatever we're teaching is equivalent to the public education, which that's not hard to do uh, because the public education is not sufficient in terms of what they're teaching. Uh, and so it, it, it's, it's not any, it, it, it's, it's just not what people think it is. It's just not. I think the people that are having problems is because they incite those problems, right? You got to choose your battle. Um, Chicago is very democratically governed, as we all know. Of course, we're dealing with the illegal immigration and all those things, um, but those are separate issues. They're one, it's, a, it's an inclusive system, but however, it's, it's separate. And I believe the families in Chicago, especially Blacks, we have learned and still learning how to uh, kind of maneuver around those things. And, and what we do, we try to get people to focus on the solution is solving the problems, be it the immigration problem, the taxation, 
or how their how policies are interwoven to destroy our family is to focus on the family. So um, just like you stated, we are very family focused. You know, I, I pick my battles. I don't get into all these other things. I, I, I we, My husband and I, we focus to where God's heart is and God's heart is on the family. And we believe if we can uh, mobilize the family again and, and the church, and I know we'll get into that, to see the urgency of revitalizing and restoring family, a lot of these issues will decrease. We won't have a lot of these issues. So no, I advise you and, and your listeners, stop listening to social media when it comes to Chicago, for the most part, right? Don't, okay. you know, cause it, it can be very discouraging. Even me living here, sometimes I listen, I'll be like, well, where are they doing that at? You know, cause I'd be like, well, wait a minute, we was just over there, you know? So it's just a lot of it is a lot of clickbait stuff, right? Yeah. Well, actually, I know exactly what you mean, and I don't know whether you've ever been to Minneapolis, but I live in North Minneapolis, and it has a similar reputation. I I, answer, I give people the same answer that you give. Uh, we live in a nice neighborhood, and 99, 85%, 99% of the people are just like everybody else is trying to support their family, survive, and live. You have this 1% that's probably uh, doing things they shouldn't be doing, but the key thing is, too, is that uh, there's a set of rules that apply. And if you aren't in that lifestyle, most people don't understand. You ain't got nothing to worry about. Most of this, most of it goes with that lifestyle. Of course, you know, in any city, when you get to my age, you know that old saying, nothing good has happened after midnight, uh, 2 o'clock in the morning. So I don't get where you at. And so I know exactly what you're talking about. And uh, I, I really appreciate your input there. Now, you've uh, mentioned family a couple of times. Before you, we get uh, into families from a societal or community standpoint, uh, tell me about a little bit about your family growing up in Baton Rouge, uh, Louisiana. And as uh, I told you in my audience, some in the audience might know, I grew up named a minute from Baton Rouge. And that's just his name, a minute from Baton Rouge. But tell us. Uh, what it was like, uh, what your family was like, uh, who encouraged you, and examples that they uh, set for you, your role models. How was that growing up, uh, your family growing up, and how did it influence your current, uh, the current person that you are? Yes, great question. Um, I, I guess somewhat unfortunately, I, I, I grew up um, in what, as they say, the hood you know, uh, in bad mood. I was raised by my grandmother. It's just me and my sister. I just have one sister. She's younger than me. Um, and we were raised by our grandmother. Uh, my mom was um, uh, on drugs most of my life, um, in and out of prison most of my life. Um, and so my grandmother had to take the, the lead as most grandmothers did back in, in those times. Um, uh, to be honest, I, did, I didn't really realize how uh, hard life was or that we were poor or impoverished until I probably got to high school uh, because my grandmother was such a strong woman, just a, you know, just, just old school, strong woman, you know, and she was hardworking. So I learned a lot of my work ethics from my grandmother because I, ever since I can remember, she worked two jobs, you know, and that was our mom. We called our grandmother mom because that, that was, you know, my grandmother took me in when I was three months old. So, for me, that was my mother, um, but she she definitely had a strong, strong work ethic in teaching us. Um, she she made us go to church as as they did back in those days. You know, you get your butt whooped if you don't go to church. You know, 
So I grew up Baptist. Uh, uh, that's what my grandmother's denomination was at that time. We grew up Baptist. Um, but I think for me, um, once I got into my teens, um, you know, I took wrong turns, unfortunately, like many teenagers. Uh, I had my daughter, my oldest, I had her at 17 years old. Um, I went through uh, a phase and I uh, went to Planned Parenthood. I, you know, was encouraged to abort her, but I thank God I, I didn't uh, take that route. Um, and one thing that I, I can remember so vivid uh, when I was in Planned Parenthood uh, at, at 27 years ago at that time, uh, me and a friend girl then, uh, I could just remember my grandmother, you know, because she, you know, the old folks just have all kind of cliches that would just scare the mess out you, right? And she's always mm -hmm. telling us, you make your bed hard, you lie in. Um, I didn't have a knowledge of Christ at that time. I didn't have a knowledge of God at that time. I knew he was real. I knew he existed, but I was the average teenager. But her voice was the voice of reason, was the voice that played in my head while I was contemplating uh, a life-altering decision. And that's all I can hear is my grandmother. And so I was more fearful of my grandmother than the world, than the life. I just kept saying, she's going to kill me if I do this. Um, and so I thank God that that she instilled, if you would, that kind of fear in me uh, where I um, I didn't make that decision. And so I, I would honestly say my grandmother was my role model. She's my hero. Um, and it's and it's and I didn't realize, honestly, how important she was in my life. I was much older and, and probably in her last year of her life before she passed. Um, we, and, and, and during that time, within the, the last year of her life is the year I got saved. And I think I become I became began to realize how important and all the lessons that she had taught me, my cousins, everybody, through the wisdom of Christ, through the understanding of Christ, because my mind was removed. So I was able to see my grandmother. I was really able to see her wisdom, her knowledge, and how hard she worked to provide for her family. Um, and so she was my role model. Uh, the, the woman that I am today, just in the light of parental rights, just understanding our God-given rights is because of my grandmother. Uh, and she didn't talk like this. It, it was just me watching her life, just watching her, watching her struggles, watching her overcome. Uh, and, and, and then looking at my mom, too, uh, my mom went through many things in her life, you know. Um, to be honest, she's still struggling with drugs today, and I'm 45 years old, you know. So it's still not an issue uh, that we've overcome yet. But by the grace of God, I, I believe my mom is going to be delivered. Um, and so uh, I'm still praying and, and dealing with that with her. But even looking at her life, uh, there's, there's a strength there. And so looking at her and my grandmother, I, I decided within myself what kind of mom I wanted to be, what kind of mother I wanted to be. And giving my life to Christ was my first first decision into making sure my life that I had. And not just materialistically, but mentally, socially, emotionally, spiritually. I did not want her with the psychological scars that I had. And I knew what needed to be done. I needed to run to Jesus. I knew that. And it's only his grace that I knew that. And so when my baby was eight years old, I gave my life to Christ. And 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 then I became the woman that I am today uh, from the foundation of the earth who he has predestinated me to be. And, and my daughter was, was the reason I became a strong advocate for parents. Just really understanding this, just this 
person to protect. You know, the, 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 the cliche out there is the mama bear. You know, I, I feel we are the real mama bears because I'm going to snatch my cub out the enemy's camp, right? And so uh, she became so much of my strength to be a, a better mom. And, and then my marriage to my husband, you know, we've been married 18 years, you know. So right after, six months after my salvation, God brought my husband to me. So uh, my life just has never been the same. It's just been such a beautiful transformation. So that's, that, that's been my husband and I, that's been our life. And then we have our, our three children together. And he's been an awesome father, awesome man of God. You know, uh, God couldn't have blessed me with a better husband to uh, support uh, me in, in the ministry that's on my life and the call that's on my life and, and definitely the call of God that is on his life as the head of his house and as an evangelist as well. Um, and so that's a short version of my life and, and how I became. But again, it was my grandmother. Uh, uh, she, she, she loved the fact that I loved school. Uh, we didn't really have anybody making us go to school. It was just in me to go to school. So I did very well in public education. Um, and, and I think the fact that I knew she loved that made me go to school because she loved the fact that Tasha go do her work, you know. Um, so I can always see her loving that I would go to school and do my work. Um, so she, she, she was my everything. Yeah, she was, she, it was my grandmother. <laughs> I'm getting teary. I just thinking about her. Uh, she, she's been gone now, uh, 16 years. So, but uh, a couple of quick things because once again, as Christians, mm -hmm. uh, as a Christian, I'm against abortion. Period. Mm -hmm. In fact, what amazes me. That we have a lot of Christians, some of ministers mm -hmm. who support abortion, and they give all kinds of crazy, <laughs> I'm tempted to say satanic explanation for their support for the uh, support of abortion. And, and, and I should be clear with our audience too, even though I'm against it, I really don't fret too much about what the law is because I think it's a heart, soul, and mind uh, issue. And that if we Christians live our life properly and set a good example, it doesn't matter whether it's legal or not, our people would not want to have it. And so that's why I don't spend much time with the Caesar aspects of it. I look more at the God aspects of it. And this is where I'm getting to. Uh, was there a specific one? Well, wait, let's go back. Was there a time when you actually walked into a Planned Parenthood abortion clinic? At what moment? Step us through the details of that. And the reason I'm asking about that, because I suspect there are a lot of young ladies out there now in that same situation, and your story might help them make a better decision. And as we know, the abortion clinic, Pan Parenthood, and everything are heavily uh, 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 located in our community. And we're just disproportionately having abortion. As a matter of fact, I think I heard someone say that we we kill more of our babies each year than we actually birth. But tell us specifically about that experience and what specifically made you finally say, no, I can't do this. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> well, I didn't. I didn't initially go uh, to the clinic to get an abortion. Um, okay. Typical young girl missed my cycle, right? So any mm -hmm. young girl, listen, you got to go get a pregnancy test. You know, purchase it or what have you. And so I went to the clinic to 
get the test to see if I was pregnant. And so um, when the nurse came in back with the results that I was, I just weeped and was crying, you know, just just really just acting a fool, like, oh, my grandma's going to kill me, you know, and, you know. And again, I was a very good student in school. Actually, I was on my way to the Navy, you know, and so my whole little future was flashing before my eyes, like I can't be pregnant, you know, I got to go to the Navy, you know, I had all these aspirations and goals for myself. And so because of that, she brought me back the information to get an abortion. She encouraged me uh, because I was three weeks pregnant, according to when they, you know, took the test, et cetera. And so she was just trying to make me feel like you do have your whole life ahead. You know, you have all these things going on. Uh, you, you know, think about it. And, she, and so I'm still crying. Me and my best friend in the room still crying. And so she left out to give us a minute to talk about it. And that's when I was saying as, as I'm crying and screaming and just, just, just thinking about what the heck to do. That's when the, the voice of my grandmother just kept playing in my head. And I just, and I told my friend, I say, you know, I have two choices to make. Either I abort this baby, or let's just make it frank, murder this, this baby, this kid. Let's just stop being, you know, just kill this right, right. mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Either I kill this baby and live with that the rest of my life, because you're going to live with it the rest of your life, or I have this kid, raise this child uh, to 18 and be okay. And I chose the latter. I'm going to keep my baby, you know, in spite, because, you know, hey, I can write a book. The dad wasn't worth a quarter. You know, it was just all the normal, unfortunate situations, y'all. And so I made the decision to keep my baby. Again, I made the decision, again, like what my grandmother said, you make your, you made this bed hard. I chose to do what I did, right? And I had to deal with the consequences of my actions. That's why I am huge also on personal responsibility, you know, self-autonomy, you know, taking responsibility for your actions. And so even at 17 years old, I knew it wasn't the government's fault. I knew it wasn't my grandmother's fault. It wasn't no fault of me and that young man. That's that we were the only two who were at fault, if you will, or had to deal with the consequences of our actions. The government wasn't in the bed with me, right? You know, we all are going to. Anyway, we can go down that street too with mm-hmm. that. But I knew that at 17 years old. And so that's how it happened for me. And I walked out that clinic with my baby. And and she again was my strength to be a better mom. You know, she made me choose even more of the, the decisions I've made in my and it wasn't in my life and it wasn't easy, Mr. Lindsay, trust me. And but I never regretted that, even though I went through, I went through hell. Uh, taking care of my baby. You know, we went through. It was not easy at all, not even a little bit. Um, but we made it through. And, I, and I'm telling you, when she turned eight, my life, God just, my life just changed. You know, and even men her talk about it now, it's almost like it has, God blessed us so But when we think back, we can't believe we went through all that because, you know, the life in Christ has just took over that. The greatness of God, like, it is, it, yeah, I can just go on, out. but that, that was my story. Uh, and if I can encourage any young, uh, young girl that's listening today, trust me, keeping your baby far outweighs the greatness that can happen than aborting. You don't want to live with that the rest of your life that you took a life of a child. Cause I always remember we make choices, right? And, and, and that's a choice that we have to deal with. And it's not a bad choice. Bringing life into this world. It's not a bad choice. It's not egregious. The baby's not a cancer. 
you know, it's a blessing. Because I look at my daughter now, she's 27 years old, Mr. Lacey, she's a prosperous woman. She has a degree, she has a thriving career, beautiful souls, and I love my daughter, you know? And, and, I, and I, you know, just sometimes even think about, even thinking about doing that, it still breaks my heart and she's here, let's know if I would have made that decision. So just just keep your baby, uh, don't, don't make that decision. Yeah, because that's an issue that's dear to my heart, too. Uh, I just think about the verse that goes, that says, God knew us before we were in the womb. Yes, yes. And we go and take, to me, I, I just don't understand the, the evil. I don't know any other word to call it, the evil thinking that you just treat your baby like something that you can just get rid of. and It's not a human life. Uh, but you, you, you mentioned something very curious there. Uh, you said the, the was it the people at Planned Parenthood who were encouraging you to abort the baby? Yes, she she gave me the brochure, and because I was crying, she said, well, "I'm gonna let you think about it." And she left out the room so me and my friend could talk about if this is the decision I want to make. Yeah. Wow, and I don't want to spend too much time on that, but it's an issue that's near and dear to my heart. You mentioned how difficult it was. And the other part of your story, though, is God can mm -hmm. always ease the situation. But give me an idea of maybe two or three of the things that was difficult for you for the first eight years until you, mm -hmm. as I understood it, uh, found Christ. Yes. Yeah, so uh, I was living with my grandmother when, when I got pregnant with her. And so um, it got to the point where I had to get out of my own. You know, back then, my old folks believe you grown now. You know, you're making babies. Mm -hmm. You got to get on your own, right? Um, mm -hmm. Even though my grandmother made that decision, she supported me, right? So she helped me get my first apartment, uh, helped me you know, buy the, you know, my grandma's big on Magnolites and cast iPods, so, you know, old school shopping, right? Mm -hmm. Things like that. But she said, you about to be a woman. Now. She wasn't playing with that, right? Okay. You want to do woman things? You got to go, right? So, mm -hmm. um, that's so, the way they were back in those days. Yeah, that's it. The most folks ain't play, right? And so, yeah. and so going out on my own, getting my first apartment, it was hard. You know, and for me, I was working at Burger King. I had started at Burger King when I was 15 years old, Mr. Lacey, because I was in a, uh, what we used to call back then, a DECA program, where they taught you kind of like entrepreneurialism and you got a grade for working. And so I started when I was 15, but I kept the job going uh, up until, you know, I finished high school. Um, and so I was working at Burger King, making $4.25 an hour, i never forget. And uh, and I got my first apartment and the, the real estate company. And this is a huge part of my story. It's still such a huge part of my life to this day. The real estate company that I rented from when I was, uh, I had just turned 18. Um, you know, I would go in every month, whatever, pay my rent. And 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 I remember I got a phone call uh, after maybe seven, eight months of renting. And the, 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 the owner, Roy Carter Realty in Beverage, Louisiana, he got the reception to call me. And, and they were just telling me all these things, how when I come in office, they, they just seen something so great in me and, and all these, you know, I'm just trying to sum up a very long story and come down to the office so they can talk to me. And um, when I when I went to the office, they wanted to uh, talk to me about becoming a homeowner. So long story short, I bought a house at 18 years old with, with a baby. Uh, and, and that changed the trajectory of my life, right? 
Um, mm-hmm. but, but buying that house young, I still had a lot of maturing to do, right? And I lost the house. I think two or three years later, I lost the house. Uh, the enemy started attacking me with migraines. So it, it was just a lot going on. And, and you know, um, but I bought that home. Uh, it was $39,000, a three-bedroom, one-bath, completely remodeled home. Uh, I bought, you know, 27 years ago. Like I said, my daughter's 27 years old now, you know, when I was 18. And um, and it was a blessing, you know. And so, but it was hard. I just, I went through a lot of barriers. After I lost at home, you know, I started back renting again, you know, just a lot of different changes I went through. Um, unfortunately, still in, you know, living, you know, not pleasing to the Lord, you know. Um, most young girls still trying to find that love or whatever, you know, going through the motions with those things. And and it was hard. But after I bought the house, I can bag up for a second. I think after a year after I bought my home, that same real estate company called me again. And I'm like, what these people want now, you know? And and I went down to the office and here again, they're encouraging me to, uh, and they offered me a job. And that is really what changed my life. That changed, I'm gonna be honest, that changed my personality, that changed my professionalism, that changed my clothing, my attire, to be in that business atmosphere that, that, that introduced me to entrepreneurialism like never before. So I became... Uh, the assistant rental manager. I was the secretary. Then eventually I got my real estate license. I, I started owning, owning real estate. So it just changed my daughter and I. Life. It changed our lives, you know. And and so I I was being around people uh, that had a trajectory in life, educated people, educated black people. This was a black all real estate company. At that time, Mr. Carter was a multimillionaire. And I know he still is to this day. So it put me in a whole different environment of people. That just was such a blessing and inspiration to my life. And so all of that added to the woman that I am. All of that just summed in. God had a wonderful, beautiful purpose for my life. And um, and so, you know, but even in all that beauty, it was still struggle. But, you know, when I think back, it was all for my good, right? It was, it was all to make me strong. It was all to make me the woman. Because we're not exempt from the trials and tribulations of this world. So yes, I had it hard, but I didn't give up. And I went to college, you know. I, I worked from eight to five at the real estate office. I went to school from six to nine. My daughter was in public school. She was in a 24-hour daycare. I wouldn't see my daughter till 10 o'clock at night. And that was hard, you know. So from the top of the morning to at night, I was at school and I was at work and I would pick her up from the daycare. You know, so that was our life for eight years. So it was it was a hard, it was a hard struggle, you know. And I eventually got my um uh, bachelor's degree in business and things like that. But I went to school forever. I, I consider myself, I was just in college forever. You know, um, I, you know, I just love education. I didn't know what I wanted to do. I was just taking everything. Don't follow that path, right? I got a lot of debt, you know, don't, don't do that. Don't know nope from me. But, um, but I didn't have any guidance on that part per se, but I just enjoyed school. I really did. I just enjoy learning different subjects and all these kind of things. But at any rate, all of that just, just you know, just made me who I am. And so I just thank God for all the experiences, everything that I learned. And so, again, marrying my husband, uh, that was a whole nother journey. You know, God, you know, thrust me into, into ministry. I never thought I would be a minister of Christ. You know, I didn't see that coming. Um, but he did. And he gave me such a passion. And a compassion for children. I never thought, I never dreamed that I would be an advocate for children. 
Um, and that was just from God, you know, when he woke me up in terms of that, I will begin to deal with outreach youth. You know, when he gave me that ministry, that's uh, that, that's my sacrifice. You know, I tell people I live and breathe children, you know, uh, yeah. that's my heartbeat now. I have sacrificed. I have nothing better to do but to help kids. I, I don't have nothing else to do with my life. I have sacrificed solely my life uh, to the cause of protecting parents' rights and protecting children. So that's really who I am as a minister of Christ. You know, the family is is everything to me because I tell my children all the time, it's my last point, and I tell family. My husband and I, my husband had the same trajectory I did, you know, broken family, parents on drugs, et cetera. We have given our children what we didn't have. And that's what's so important to me and my husband. We see parents in their eyes. We're looking through the lenses of our children, the way they look at us, you know, the way they hug and kiss us. You know, my, I'm home with my babies 24-7. They, you know, they go everywhere with me. And so we love parenting. We love it. We love it. We love it. We love it. We love our kids. And so we didn't have what we were giving our kids. And that is priceless. That is priceless. To be a parent, So, a couple of quick things here. We we haven't talked about chess. We need to talk about your husband a little bit here. Uh, but a couple of quick things. Uh, now, when you were in high school, out there running around doing things you weren't supposed to do, uh, did you know you could get pregnant? Yes. <laughs> so why are we doing it, young lady? Yes, I, I don't know why people act like you drink Kool-Aid and it happens. I have no idea, right? I knew very well what was going on and unfortunately, uh, what could be the outcome of that, that situation. But, but you know, in the moment, right? In yeah, the I know, time, I know. Hey, look, I've been a teenager too. And hey, I mean. You don't <laughs> you think you can, uh, you can outdo sin, right? You think sometimes right. you got some kind of superpower and sin just ain't going to get you or something. A bad mistake is not going to happen to you. But yes, I, I knew very well uh, what, what could be the outcome. And, and I knew very well the kind of guy I was dealing with. I knew he wouldn't care and, and he put me through hell, right? So I was fully aware of that. Um, but in spite of him being the person he was, I didn't allow that to make me abort our daughter, you know. Um, right, so yeah, right. so sometimes that weighs on young girls too, you know. Right. When the guy is not up to par, and, and sometimes I I heard then and I hear now, sometimes they pay for it, sometimes they encourage it, you know. So there's so many different dynamics, unfortunately, so many evils are happening that um, will force a young girl to to make that decision. Um, I, I just really believe. I tell people all the time, I didn't know Jesus, but He knew me. Right. right, right. It's it just it was just my path. Uh, you know, we have free will, but it was just my path not to make that decision. Yeah. Well, it sounds like you were living proof that girls really like bad boys. Yeah. Yeah. I understand that. <laughs> and I'm not on that too long today because it's bad yeah. enough. Now. But but yeah. one thing I did. Uh, catch on though, which is totally different today. You were concerned about what your grandmother would do. Yes, yes. Down the road, we lost that. As a matter of fact, it's very disturbing to me. Our young ladies want to get pregnant, yeah, and they don't care. I mean, that's what it'll seem like to me. 
and they don't care whether or not there's a lady uh, man in their lives and and i guess on a probably more fundamental level our culture has been that's become part of our culture man it's just sad and i see a lot of our young ladies looking for love in the babies that they have yeah. and uh looking at this type of stroller that they have as a status symbol and they don't care whether the, the, i shouldn't say don't care it doesn't matter much now whether there's a man in their life or yeah. not yeah. and the sad part of that as far as i'm concerned is that until we fix that none of these most of these issues that we're seeing are hardly any of them are going to go away and the other sad part about that and, and, and let's face it we're conservative we're, mm -hmm. we're political to uh the democrats has convinced us is all kinds of other things mm -hmm. besides what we're doing yes and the choices we're making as a people and we talk a lot about race but i think we really should be talking a lot more about the culture that we have right now yes. the culture of single parenthood mm -hmm. the culture of dysfunctional families, mm -hmm. the culture of crime where young black men don't think nothing about committing crime. In fact, that we got a culture where they're proud of the fact that they've gone to jail. Mm -hmm. uh, the culture of the music that we listen to. I mean, I was telling someone, because I, I read just about everything, and I messed around earlier this week and clicked on a, a video by Cardi B. And that's some other ones out there. I could not believe what was what I was seeing in the words that she was saying. And this is what our young people are listening to. And I'm gonna get off my soapbox too, but you know, I had a, a job downtown Minneapolis and I decided to be responsible and just for a change of pace, take the city bus to work. I couldn't take it after a couple of weeks. And a lot of it because of how young people were acting on the bus, how they were talking. And here's the catch. It was mainly our young ladies talking like that. It's just, it's, it's sad. You, you have to understand, I grew up in a time where uh, I got sunshine on a cloudy day with my girl. And you had to have something on the ball you had to smell good, you have to dress good, you know, just a whole lot. Now it doesn't matter anymore. So I'm gonna get off my soapbox, but, and, and, and it's a good segue into another area, a couple of areas. One is the role of the church. And I go back again, you're, you was afraid of what your grandmother was gonna do. Now the whole black community is kind of embracing it. And it's almost like these, Young single girls, teenagers getting pregnant, having babies are heroes almost uh, in our community. And this is where I'm going to have you come in at. And it appears to me that the churches too has fallen for the same thing. And they aren't saying what they're supposed to say. What do you have to say about that, Latasha? The role of the church and being complacent and what is the role of the church in help trying to fix some of these things. The church has a representative of God, of course. Yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. The church has definitely um, forsook its first love. 
concerning um, first Christ. And, and because it has forsaken its first love with Christ, it doesn't see the urgency in the restoration of family. Um, the church is no longer preaching the importance of absence in marriage and family. Unfortunately, too many of our uh, churches are in bed with the politicians, seriously. Exactly. Um, they are really, uh, they have an allegiance to the 501c3, you know, in terms of money and power and control. They have been bought. Uh, that document, and we're not saying it's being ugly, that document literally muzzles the church. I, I have I have certification of the 501c3 for whatever it's worth. Um, you have to read that publication. And in the United States, churches do not even have to succumb to that document. To be a charitable organization is voluntary. You don't have to submit uh, to that, but they want the tax exemption. We understand legally what it's all about. But however, spiritually, I think we have missed the spiritual implications of that. Uh, where the enemy have came in and literally muzzled the church. And the Bible says that you should not muzzle out the ox that trade out the corn, especially them that labor in the word of God. And so now the churches are not the beacon of hope in terms of blowing the trumpet in terms of what is happening uh, because they don't want to lose their Ephesus. They don't want to lose these temples. They don't want to lose the money and all these things that have come with those things. And therefore our communities, our families are going undone. Um, but God is raising up a new generation as myself, like I said, I'm not ashamed. I'm 45 years old, and there's a lot of young people like me, you know, uh, that are rising up. There's a lot, and I just told you, there's a lot of black family. We are a remnant, and we are seeing these things, and we're not appreciating these things. And so, the remnant of God, the church of God, will always speak up. And so that's why I have to remind myself we can't allow that which appears to be the church to be the voice for us, because God has never left us, and He's never forsaken us. But I believe during the, the civil rights time, Mr. Lacey, there was a spirit of blindness. There was a huge prophetic shift in who the black man was prior to the civil rights movement to who he is now. Uh, I, sometimes I like to call this, this is a genetically modified black man because this is not who we are. This is mm -hmm. not our history. This is, this is not our inheritance. And so um, there's a lot of things that we, we don't even have time to speak about on your program that mm -hmm. we can see history and through discernment, just through the prophetic movement, that something happened. There was a tide changing uh, in terms of that. Uh, and I believe it happened in that era because when you go from 1964 to today, we're talking about 60 something years, there has been a digression, if you will, of our values, our standards, our morals as a community. Um, and so, because when I grew up, we still had black stores in our community. I remember Mr. Lee and all these people, we can run to the store, was still black, 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 black. And everybody would beat you behind, too. You know what I'm saying? There was serious accountability. The principal could beat you behind, the principal was black, everybody was black. And they would whoop your tail, you know, if you cutting up. And 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 so that, that whole dynamic of community has been severed in our community. And I think that's why for me, back then, in the 90s, getting pregnant, we still had that sense of community. That's why I was saying, my grandmother will beat my behind. She's gonna kill me because that was still there. But in the process of time during the late 90s, early 2000s, that had decimated. Because again, you gotta see this, Mr. Lacey. My generation start having babies. So a lot of the young women in my generation are grandmothers today. I'm not a grandmother. Thank you, Jesus, I'm not a grandmother. So we gotta understand a lot of the girls from my generation did not have the wisdom and knowledge that our grandmothers had. So there's no more grandmothers raising kids now. So it's, it's right, right, right. 
the babies having babies. So we got to see what generation we're dealing with. So the generation that understood what you understood is my, a few of me and back. That's it. Me and moving forward has lost what you understood. And, and the last little bit of what I got that you got, it's gone in our community. So, and I believe, you know, I'm going to say what you said, not to get off of my soapbox. I believe that public education has had a lot to do with that it has been weaponized against us. Right? Spiritually, there's so much into that that we can unpack that has been used to, um, to teach us to ignore our plight. And then you have where people like my grandmother, if you will, didn't talk about politics. She didn't talk about being Democrat or Republican. They ain't nobody discussed those things. And so you just have a generation where a lot of our history was not passed on to us. And, and so then again, I gotta go back. You got my generation that was woefully becoming ignorant that could not pass on knowledge. And so that's what we have today. And then when you have a government that has uh, manipulated and deceived the church to align with a bastardized government, then the covering of Christ has been removed. And then when you have generation of children being taught 15,000 hours of secular humanism inside the public school system, the Bible was banned, prior prayer was banned. And then we sit here today in 2023 and we're wondering why we have the generations of children and the issues and the problems that we have where the covering of God has been removed. Off of the family, off of the church, it has been removed. So this is a manifestation and an outward projection of what's inevitable because we have not stood for Christ. We have not stood on family. And the Bible says this, and Mr. Lee, you, Mr. Lace, you know this. Judgment is coming to the house of God first. We as the body of Christ will be solely held responsible for the conditions of family. We will. Not the government. Yeah, the government had done all sorts of things. Absolutely. Not the schools, not the, the, the preachers and all these people. We, as the body of Christ, those that are confessing Christ, will be held accountable for this. And so, again, I believe in this dispensation of time, God is raising up the, the Joshua and Caleb, the John the, the John the Baptist generation, where we're going to sound the alarm. We're saying, make straight the way of the Lord. Uh, God is going to revive his church. And so... We just have to be real encouraged because it's, it's, it, 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 you know, the Bible said, don't get weird, well doing, right? We see uh, the, the culture is just overtaking the black people. It, it is. It is a, it's a very toxic culture, if you will. And so um, I think if we get a hold uh, to the wisdom and knowledge and understanding for our children and the education, I think that's one area where we can start taking back the responsibility. And the church is going to have to speak up, but we got to stop looking at the church as these people with these buildings. Right. I think that's sometimes where we kind of miss the mark a little bit. We think they're the church, but no, God's mm-hmm. house not made with him. Right. And so we have to start looking at leaders like you and I. And there's many of us that is working, that is pressing, that is fighting with everything in us to bring restoration to these things. But faith, work it, patience. Because this stuff ain't happening. <laughs> no, that's great. I'm going to give you a, a, a little time here to talk about the wonderful husband that you have, the businessman, and, and how you met, and what was it that attracted to you, attracted to you to this gentleman? Okay, I'm gonna give a short, short version of the story. Yeah, um, give me a short version. Sure, I'm gonna try because I can be long with it. Praise <laughs> Lord. Right, let's let's yeah. see. 
All right, so I gave my life to Christ. He had dealt with me about the, the school, the ministry. And again, a friend, a, my best friend, who's still my best friend, sister in Christ back home in Louisiana, she kept, she just kept saying, I'm gonna invite you to this church, invite you to this church. So I went to this church and my husband, uh, who wasn't my husband at the time, was preaching. And and I, and it seemed like I had never seen a young man preach. You know, my husband was up there and I was like, oh my God. And so uh, God had already been dealing me with the prophetic. I had, God had already filled me with the Holy Spirit. So I was, I was building my relationship with God. I was being accustomed to his voice. And so as I entered into this church, I heard God just as audible as me and you're talking. And he said, that's him. And in my spirit, I say, that's him. What? And so I sat out in the church and, and the Lord began to really deal with me about my husband at the time. And so long, long story short, God was dealing with him as well as I entered into the church building. And long, long story short, six months later, we were married. God revealed so many different things, so many prophetic things. God began to show us dreams and visions because uh, we, our family, he deals with us very heavily in the prophetic. And so he speaks to us very, very uh, uh, audibly through dreams and visions. We, Even my children, we are a family that dream a lot. Our whole life has been based off uh, hearing God and seeing uh, what he wants to do through dreams. Even coming to Chicago, the Lord dealt with my husband six years prior to us coming here over the six year span that he was sent him to Chicago for evangelism through dreams and visions. So a lot of the things that we have done up until today, God had already showed him through dreams over those six years, we would do these things. So we're walking in the manifestation of that, which God had prophesied to us. And so that's how I met my husband. And again, six months later, we were married. And then six months later, we had our son and here we are today. Uh, so uh, it was a, a very prophetic move of God uh, in terms of my husband. And so my husband uh, comes from unfortunately the same uh, elements that I come from in terms of broken family. Well, his mom and dad was married um, before he was born, but they end up uh, getting divorced, but still, um, unfortunately, the, the drugs hit, hit his mom and dad and things like that as well. And his grandmother eventually had to raise him too, uh, him and his siblings. And so just went through a lot of the same um, poverty elements and different things like that. Being a young black man, you know, you know, he had his, 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 his fear of the gang banging and, you know, doing what young men do out there, selling drugs, et cetera, et cetera. So he, he went through his bout with all those things too. Uh, getting kicked out of school. My husband don't have but a 10 grade education, you know, and so fighting and all those sorts of things, but God, and one thing that I blessed God for my husband's testimony, he was a young man that gave his life to Christ at 21 years old. So my husband has been so alive for the Lord since he was 21 years old and he's 43 now. Um, so uh, this has been a wonderful, amazing transformation. And so God began to teach him a lot of things in his word. Uh, so he's a strong, strong man of God, strong leader in the faith. Um, and uh, he's definitely carrying his family. He keeps us covered uh, in the things of God. He's taught me so much. I tell people that's my pastor. You know, my husband taught me everything. You know, him and Jesus. Amen. 70%. Jesus, 30% my husband, amen. Uh, when it comes to the faith, you know, um, so we are definitely a family that sit and labor in the word of God. My husband is an awesome teacher of the word of God. And so also a businessman. And so my husband has been a barber ever since we've been married. He, he's been a barber. So we have been hitting the pavement in entrepreneurialism for that time. And so he's an awesome provider. And I tell people I'm proud to say I'm a stay-at-home mom. My husband take care of us. So I am, I am very blessed of God of that, that he takes care of his wife and his children. He, everything. Amen. Um, Amen. He use our uh, life 
the change and get acts. Praise the Lord. So I am a bl very blessed woman. I must say that. Um, so it's, 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 it's been a blessing. So that is a short, 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 short version of our journey. Uh, and my husband is working on the South Side of Chicago, in the South Shore community of Chicago, in the barbershop. And that will be another podcast to to really give you. Yeah. Uh, in fact, I might want to come in the barbershop and do a podcast. Yeah, yeah. Because that was only a six-hour drive. But yeah. you did. Speaking of the barbershop, uh, one thing you told me when we talked in Milwaukee is that uh, Vivek Ramasamy Sami, uh, called, contacted you, was it? Well, through, and, uh, someone, anyway, he ended up in your barbershop. Tell yes. me that story. Yeah, so through another uh, colleague, I call a political colleague uh, here in, in Chicago, was contacting and contacting me because he wanted to get in, entrenched in the community. And so what a better way uh, for him to come to. And then it just so happens the high school that they had the illegal immigrants in is around the corner from my husband's shop. So it was just a God thing, right? We couldn't ask for a better setup. Uh, that but they wanted to visit that facility, that high school where the, Ill the illegal immigrants were staged. And so this particular individual said, I, I know no family they got a barbershop right there in their community. And so I was contacted, I was brought into the, the conversation and we began to literally organize and get Vivek here. And so uh, another black owned business across the street from my husband's shop owned a venue. And so that's the venue we did the town hall. So we began to mobilize uh, those connections to get Vivek here so that our community can ask him the question that they want to ask him. And so after the town hall meeting, um, which was a very successful turnout, we walked literally across the street to my husband's barbershop and there was a whole nother press conference in the barbershop. My husband cut his hair and all that great stuff. Oh, so it was. So it was a great experience. And then we were able to leave the barbershop and we did a walk through the South Shore community to that to that particular high school and did another press conference. And I was afforded an opportunity to speak at that press conference as well. And so um, it was a great experience. Uh, I think Vivek enjoyed the experience. I believe he learned a lot. Uh, and so we're, we're hoping he returns and all of the presidential candidates um, would come into these communities and, and, and share with the people and, and allow the people to ask them questions and allow us to challenge their policies and show us what their policies are. And so that, that was that opportunity that, that we had to host them, if you will. Okay, well, I'm gonna to try to educate our audience here a little bit. Uh, if you remember Vivek, uh, after the debate, he was everywhere. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, and I turned to my wife and I said, they're gonna soon get rid of him. You're gonna hear, because what he's saying is not fitting the narrative. No. And and slowly but surely, he's disappearing because the way the news work, that's a narrative that they want to put forth, whether it's the New York Times or the Washington Post, and our people need to learn, learn that these are just slime newspapers. I mean, yeah. when it comes to politics, I, you know, I might read them when it comes to literature or theater or something else, but when it comes to politics, they're just slime. They're just mm -hmm. slime. Mm -hmm. And uh, most of the media is too. And I told him straight up that you won't be hearing from him. He's not saying, when he's talking about pardoning Trump and, and all the uh, mm -hmm. prosecution that they're illegal, that's not the message they want out. So he's going to disappear for a while. But I hope you guys uh, I hope you guys get together and he comes back to Chicago and, and address the needs of the inner city. So this has been very wonderful. Uh, I hate wrapping it up, but... Uh, <laughs> You may have to uh, go home and, and 
have dinner and I got a sick grandkids. I got to stop by the drugstore and get him some <laughs> or something. And so I, I, I'm going to try to wrap it up here also. But I think uh, your message has been very spiritual. And it's the type of message that uh, our community need to hear. Uh, our community basically has turned this back to, on God. And the people that's supposed to be our spiritual leaders to lead us out of this, you're right, they've been bought off by the government, basically the Democratic Party, yeah. uh, with these grants and things. They can't, in fact, I, I'm going to tell this person, I, I just know a minister personally. And uh, I started off talking about God knew us before we were in the womb. Mm -hmm. And where I didn't understand how any Christian could be for abortion. And I was just surprised when he started he and on about it. I mean, I mean, we're just in serious trouble, man. And, and whether it's uh, grant money or uh, I'm a Democrat and I have to support the party line, which is for abortion and for LGBTQ and all that stuff. Uh, our community uh, is really, really, really uh, off the rails. I put it that way. I'm being general here, but we need uh, ministers, evangelists like you and your husband out there doing the work, staying on the wall. So we really appreciate that. Uh, I would like for you before you go this evening, uh, maybe once again, reflect on your younger years and think about the younger uh, kids out there in our community today. Think about yourself, think about your the father of your child and your husband and when they were teenagers. In fact, you could even think about me when I was a teenager because <laughs> I wouldn't always on the straight and narrow either, but what type of message would you uh, give our young people out there who are in an environment where all the stimulus said, do all the wrong things, do what make you feel good. Uh, if anything goes wrong, it's somebody else's fault. It's because you're a slave, descendant of slave two or 300 years ago because of racism, white privilege, all that stuff. What would you say to our young people out there to help get them along, well, along the path of production, spirituality, and achievement in life? Yeah, I think nowadays, um, every dispensation, every generation has had distractions. And I think we're, I believe, and I know most of us do, I think we're in the last generation. I think we, we could very well be in the generation and see the coming of Christ. Um, and I think the distractions are worse on our children, on our young people. Um, and what I would say to them is what I tell young people. We, we, they got to have enough strength and momentum to pull back from social media. I think social media is a huge weapon against our kids because they're being inundated with so many different conversations, so many different ideologies uh, of the world. And um, I think that's one thing that they can do um, if they can muscle the strength to really pull back from that and, and, and see God. And I would say not just to the young people, but our, our elderly, you know, start reaching out to some of these young people. You know, we, we expect so much from them, but I think it's us that need to reach them. 
You know, the Bible said to go into the highways and the byways and compel men. And we expect our young people to know better. I didn't know better. You know, it takes it takes one stronger to bind up the strong man. And so those of us that do know better, that's my message to tell our young people, we love you. We love you very, very much. And we have a responsibility to protect you. We have a responsibility to go out here and fight for you. That's that's the commandment of God. Um, and so I would, so my message would be to parents, rise up and take authority over your children. You know, don't allow the government and the systems that be and the ideas of the world to tell you how to raise your children. You know, um, you know, we got to grab hold to our kids. I would encourage the church, stop being afraid. You know, we're going to lose some things for the cause of Christ. There is a sacrifice. You know, the Bible said we have to bear our cross. You know, so that's my message to go out there and do the work. We have to save our young people. They're not going to save them, themselves. You know, I was just fortunate to have a grandmother that 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 talked a lot. And I was able to remember what she said and her voice echoed in my soul. You know, so young people, if you have someone in your life, you know, an elder, or young people, old person, whomever, a mentor, anybody in your life that you you can echo, you can you can listen to those voices, you know. But I think ultimately, Mr. Lacey, we have to go get them. We have to go get them. When, when, when the Hebrews had to come out of Egypt, God ain't leave it up to, up to them to lead themselves out. He had to send one, right? Uh, faith mm-hmm. comes out here and hearing the word of God. How can one preach unless he's been sent? So I think that's the message I have for our young people. We're coming for you. We love you and we are coming to save you. We're coming to rescue you guys. You know, we know it's hard out there. The, the, the challenges that you guys are facing, we did not have. We just did not have it, Mr. Lacey. You know, and so our babies need our help. They need us to rise up and fight like hell for them, even if it costs us our lives. That's where we are in this. We have to push back against this culture and tell this culture that you are a lie. The devil is a lie. We're not going to let the culture tell us how our young people should be. So it's up to us. It's up to us. That's the message. I love you guys. And it's up to us. We have to come get you guys. There are some responsibilities you have to do, right? You have to obey, right? You do have to obey. But it, it's, it's, it's up to us. I just believe it is. It's up to us to, to go get our young people. That is an excellent uh, something to end, excellent words to end on. And I will wrap it up with my own personal input. Uh, I think as a parent, I tell everything, everyone, the toughest thing for me was to realize the difference in generations. I, I tended to raise my kids the way I was raised mm-hmm. and that you, you got to customize it. And once again, you got to meet them where they are. Uh, and, you know, I'm from an old school. Uh, when my children was talking to me and how tough it was and all the challenges that they had in my mind, I couldn't imagine that they would ever have it tougher than I did. But I wasn't looking at it from the whole social media and the influences and, and all the that I didn't have. And so it's just recently uh, I've adapted uh, the attitude that you uh, are proposing there. We need to reach out to our children and we need to understand them because I didn't want to hear about how tough it was and, and, and all that kind of stuff. I mean, because that's the way I was raised. Mm-hmm. You get up, you do what you got to do. And don't complain and don't make excuses. And you know, my old brain, I couldn't understand all this yeah. uh, stuff about blaming white folks and you know, and history and, and, and the police and stuff like that. We were just taught 
It's about you and what you do. Yeah. And I just understood that uh, our younger generation just can't seem to get that part. So it's up to me to change my way of communicating and influencing them and showing them love and support. So I say that to all your parents out there, the older parents, is that meet them where they are and don't dismiss them. I listen to them very carefully. And if you hang in there, you might even understand where they're coming from. Yeah. So, appreciate everything you yeah. offered this evening, Latasha Fields. I hope I hope to have your guests again. And you know what? I might even have your husband cut my hair one of these days. <laughs> he better be good, by the way. You, you well, I see he's good. So yeah, I think. <laughs> You tell him hi for me and uh, uh, go home to your family. It's been a blessing talking to you yes, and uh, you. keep up the good work. Thank you so and, much, Mr. Mason. Thank you for having me. It's been a wonderful pleasure. Thank you for having me. So, <laughs> everyone, Natasha Fields, evangelist, Chicago, Illinois, just all around great lady. I knew she'd be good, but I never knew she'd be this good. So, uh, thank you very much. Thank great. you. All right. Good night.